Okay, we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 11 tonight. 1 Kings chapter 11. And uh, we've been studying through the lives of the kings, and uh, we've been, so far we've covered Saul and David, and now Solomon, and Lord willing, we're going to um, move past Solomon tonight, we shall see. But anyway, we've, uh, in the past three weeks, our, our lessons, I kind of feel like I've kind of built on each other, but two weeks ago, uh, we were looking at the thought, never enough, and David had built a kingdom and had uh, basically laid all the groundwork, the foundation, gave Solomon a golden opportunity. He had peace. He had all the enemies defeated. He had prosperity. He had the heart of the people. Uh, he had instructions, marching orders, what to do afterward. He had all of these things uh, lined up for him. And then God also gave him uh, wisdom as well. And whenever he began building the temple, it seems as if it just kind of got him started. As he built the temple, that moved on to the next building project. And the next really uh, 40 years, his entire time as a king there was moving from one building project to another. And uh, he was building and he was also accumulating. So the whole time he was constructing, he was building, he was making palaces, building cities, and he was bringing in all kinds of riches and all kinds of treasure and all kinds of women. And so it was never enough. He always wanted more wives. He wanted uh, more riches. He wanted another building project, and it just kept going and going and going. He was never satisfied. And uh, then last week, we were looking at opulence and emptiness. We seen that after years of wisdom and wealth and women, just to keep it, you know, <laughs> After years of wisdom, wealth, and women, Solomon's name and his reputation had became legendary. He was known throughout the entire region. People were traveling great distances just to hear him speak, just to hear the things that he would say, and to observe uh, the way he conducted his business, the way that his uh, government was, uh, the way that his government ran, the way that he set before the people and all the servants that he had and all the wealth that he had. People were coming to see all of these things. And uh, we looked at a catalog of all of his uh, wealth, and then we looked at the visit from the Queen of Sheba. She was the one who traveled uh, a long, long distance, probably some 1,800, 2,000 kilometers. It's a long distance before airplanes, right? Yeah. Uh, just to come and visit him to listen because his fame had spread that far. And it was so fantastic by the time it got to her. She says it's traveled a long distance through many different people. Surely it is. Uh, it has been exaggerated by the time it got here. And it hadn't been. She came and she said that uh, the half of it hadn't been told. And uh, the world thought that Solomon had it all. Even the Queen of Sheba looked at him and said, how wonderful it would be to be one of your servants just to get us set here and listen to you all day long. Yeah. But we talked about that. The servants probably weren't all that excited about it. But anyway, the world thought he had it all, but within Solomon was empty. Uh, he had left God. He had set out to find happiness and purpose outside of God. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, we saw that he tells us that outside of God, all is vanity. He says, I had everything that the world had to offer, and it still left me empty. I couldn't find any purpose or any reason. Man was made to uh, walk with God and glorify God. And if that's not what we're doing, uh, it is 
fruitless. It's worthless. And so today we're going to see it all failing and falling apart as a result of Solomon continuing to ignore God's warnings and continuing to ignore God's word. Because God has told him plenty of times before any of this ever happened, David had instructed Solomon. Remember at the very beginning, David says, if you will follow God, if you will keep his precepts, obey his commandments, then God's going to prosper you. He's going to take care of you. You're going to have a long kingdom. So David told him, he set the the foundation there. God came and visited him twice, spoke to him. Uh, He sent prophets to warn him. He tried multiple ways to get him back on track, but yet Solomon just went off the rails. And whenever he did, it all fell apart. And anyway, we're going to start reading in 1 Kings chapter 11, down at verse number 9. And I know we covered some of this last week, but I want to, uh, I kind of rushed through it last week, which I shouldn't have done. And so I want to look at it a little bit more tonight. And we're going to see really what Solomon and Rehoboam had in common. Because really, um, Rehoboam is just round two with failing and falling apart, right? And so anyway, in uh, 1 Kings 11, verse 9, it says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord of God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which God, which the Lord had commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, Forasmuch as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in, the, in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son." Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son uh, for David my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. And so we'll stop there for right now. But what we find in this is that Solomon, uh, our, our question early on in Solomon's reign was, you have everything handed to you, what are you going to do with it? And this is kind of the summation of it. Solomon has turned his heart away from God. The first part of chapter 11 talks about all of the women that he loved and how uh, because of the women, they drew his heart away from God, that at first he tolerated their worshiping false gods. And then he began to uh, not just tolerate it, but he accepted that they worshiped these other gods. And then before it was over with, Solomon participated in worshiping the other gods. Even though God had appeared to him twice, God had given him wisdom, God had given him all these wealth and possessions and the hand of, or the, the lands of his enemies and all of, all of these things. He built the temple for God. He had seen the, the Spirit of God descend upon the temple. He's heard him speak, all these different things, and yet he still begins to worship the false idols, the false gods of the wives that he married. And it says that it turned his heart away from God. And that tells us that it turned his attention, his affection, his desire, his direction, his pursuit towards something besides God. And so if you would look at it from that direction, whenever it says that his heart was turned away, uh, the heart is, in the Bible, it's the part that determines our affections and our desires, okay? And... Whenever we read in the Bible, and this is something I often bring out, whenever we are not to follow our hearts, 
our hearts desire certain things. It has affections towards certain things. And we have to lead our heart. We have to guide our heart. Because if not, it gets attached to things that it shouldn't. It loves things, desires things that it shouldn't. Solomon followed his heart after the other women, and they directed his heart away from God toward other gods, toward other things. Okay? And so this is what ended up happening. And this is in spite of the fact that God's been very generous, very merciful to Solomon. He's given him so many things. He prepared the kingdom. He had the warnings from David. God appeared to him twice. Uh, God gave him multiple warnings. He provided and protected in spite of all Solomon's failures. And he gave him many chances and chances to repent. And yet he still did this, which lets us know that if the wisest man in the world with all of the advantages was susceptible to this, then we need to guard against it as well. We're going to be more susceptible than he was. It doesn't mean that we need to resign ourselves to failure. It means that we need to walk circumspectly. We need to be careful. We need to be paying attention. Because Solomon is a cautionary tale for us that tells us that it's not a matter of who your dad is. Yeah. Right? Because Solomon, he, he had David as his father. Though David messed up, he was a man after God's own heart. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was the one who led the people in worship, led a revival, all these things. And yet Solomon still went astray, right? Doesn't matter what kind of advantages you have. Solomon had access to everything. And yet he failed. Um, Something that I've been thinking on today, and I'm just going to put this out here. I don't know where it's going to go. But it was interesting to me. Okay? Uh, Maybe this is me chasing rabbits. I don't know. But something that was interesting to me with David, what's David known for? And I've already mentioned it. Was he was he known for what is it? Question to question, known on sight of God or what because some of questions they always kick me in, in both ears. So I'm seeing David. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm seeing David as a man of God, as God himself testified him mm-hmm. being the person close to yeah. his heart. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing David messing up as mm-hmm. any other human being. So mm-hmm. The question mm-hmm. will have to depend on where. Okay, so you're in, you're going the direction I'm wanting there. Okay, okay. Uh, David is known as the man after God's own heart. Yes. So he is known as the one who loves God and is loved of God. Mm-hmm. And so that is the thing that identifies David is his heart. It's his his love. Mm-hmm. That yes, he messed up, but he loved God. When he realized he messed up, it hurt him in his heart. He repented, got right with God. And pursued God above all things, right? Mm-hmm. So it was his heart. It was his love that he was known for. What was Solomon known for? Well, Besides that. Wisdom. Okay. So Solomon, David is identified with his heart, his love, a man after God's own heart. Solomon for his mind, for his wisdom, right? So one for their head, one for their heart. And I think that's interesting. Now, the Bible does tell us that we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. Spirit would be connected to the heart, right? That we are to speak the, the, the truth in love. And there's a connection between truth and love, but a connection between knowledge and love as well. 
And so we see here that Solomon, really it seems like he had the mental capacity, he had the head knowledge, he had the intelligence, all of these different things, but it still came short of affecting his heart. Okay? But David and all of his shortcomings and everything, it did penetrate his heart, and he truly had a love for God. Okay? And I guess one of the interesting things to bring out of that is the fact that we can have all the knowledge in the world, and if we don't have a love and a heart for God, then we are still going to come up short. And so it has to be deeper than just a head knowledge. It has to be deeper than just a mental ascent or uh, based on facts and figures. But we need to actually have uh, the Word of God to penetrate our heart, the love of God to take root within us. And we have to be paying attention to what gets our heart. And so whenever we come to Solomon, we find in verse number 9 that his heart was turned from God. He knew God. He's heard of God. He's heard God. He's built the temple. He has written the, the Proverbs. He has written songs of praise, all these different things. He knows all of these things, but something besides God got a hold of his heart, and that was his downfall. And so we need to figure out what has a hold of our heart. And so it's not about facts and figures, but it's about our heart. Okay? And this is something that is apparent both in Solomon and in Rehoboam. And it is pointed out specifically that it was the women that had a problem with Solomon here, or Solomon had a problem with women, that the women had his heart, and they led him to allowing the false gods to get his heart and led him away from God, right? And anyway, I don't think this was a quick thing or a sudden thing. It was something that happened gradually, okay? And it always is something that happens gradually. And no one stops serving God suddenly. No one quits on God suddenly. No one, uh, as it says here, no one's heart is turned away from God suddenly. They are deceived. They are wooed away. They are uh, enticed away from him by what, by what they allow in their lives. Okay? And so this is what happened to Solomon. So he loved many strange women. He allowed all of them to come, allowed them to bring their gods, allowed them to constantly be surrounding him with their false notions and ideas about their false gods. And over time, that wore him down and it won him over. And the end result of that was that he did turn away from God to the place where he was actually participating in worship of pagan, of heathen gods. And so the, the lesson that we need to learn out of that is that the, the people and the messages that we are surrounding ourselves with has an effect on our heart. That's why we have to be careful about our friends, about our uh, relationships uh, who we're married to, because obviously with Solomon, right? Uh, we have to be careful about the uh, advisors that we're listening to. We have to be careful about the company that we're keeping. We have to be careful about the entertainment we're partaking in. This is something that is newer to our generation, the past few, that they didn't have to deal with near as much back then. I mean, they had writings of books, but they had to be written out by hand. You know, you might have um, some entertainment through theater and that kind of thing and storytelling, but you didn't have uh, television and computers and 
the access to information and things that we have today and all of the things that we are putting within us, all of the things that we are allowing to speak into our uh, our heads finds its way into our hearts. And so we have to be careful the type of influences that we have in our lives. And so Solomon being the most well-connected, the having all of these um, all of these advantages that we don't have because of the influences that he allowed in his life, it allowed it to win his heart over, to pull it away from his God, and he turned away from God and followed after idols. Now, the Bible even says, it points this out, how ridiculous this is, because his heart was turned away from the Lord of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. He has seen God and still turned away. I can't fathom that. That's just as hard for me to understand as Solomon Solomon being wise and still doing these things, right? Because in our minds, it's like, okay, if God appeared to me, if there was like an angel came down and stood before me, if I had the heavens pulled back and I seen God's, then I would never doubt again. But evidence speaks to the contrary, right? And so this is why it's so important that we guard ourselves. What do you want to say? Just see God's face, did he? Well, not his face, but it says that he appeared unto him twice. So there was a some way of a manifestation, like he spoke out of the cloud, or so. Yeah, there was a manifestation. He saw God. He heard God's voice, and he still allowed other things to get his heart and lead him away. And that's why we have to be careful. We can't say, well, I would never do that. And we can't be condemning toward people who have that happen. Because down throughout my life, I have seen many people who were once on fire for God and serving God that no longer are. So what happened? Somewhere between they had something or someone who turned their heart away from God. Be it circumstances they went through influences they allowed around them, things happened in their life and they turned their heart away from God and it brought about this distance from God. It brought about all kinds of unrighteousness and wickedness uh, in Solomon's life. And because of it, the Lord had to respond. And as I said already, God was merciful to him, right? God put up with a lot before he got to the place that he says, okay, this is it. And so the Lord told Solomon uh, you haven't kept my covenant, you haven't kept my statutes, which I commanded thee, and so I'm going to rend, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you. And so that lets us know that it's not going to be a peaceable, peaceable transition. It's not going to be something that's going to happen smoothly, but it's going to be something that's going to be painful. It's going to be torn, it's going to be ripped away. But not in his lifetime, it's going to be uh, took away from his son as a favor basically to David. He says, okay, I love David. David was a man after my own heart. I made promises to him. And so I'm not going to tear it away from you. I'm going to remove it one more generation from him. And it's going to be tore away from your son. And so whenever that happened, Solomon had the opportunity. What could he have done right there? When God says, I want to rend the kingdom away from you. Repent. He could have repented. It doesn't mean that God was going to say, okay, well, I've changed my mind. He could have. But... He could have returned to God. He could have corrected his relationship. He could have said, oh, man, I've done messed up too much. But he doesn't do that. There's no record of him doing that right here. 
I do believe because of the book of Ecclesiastes that before the end of his life, he does get right with God. Okay, All the things that happens, he realizes as he's looking back over his miserable and wretched life, he realizes this is where I went astray. This is where I went wrong. This is what happened. And he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, and the summary of the book of Ecclesiastes is, without God, this life is meaningless. But God has given us all these things. We need to enjoy Him. We need to follow Him and serve Him, and He will reward us in the end. That's the basically the, the summary of it. But most of Ecclesiastes is spent just talking about the hollowness and emptiness of all of his pursuits. If you take God out of the equation, this is what life is. And then he gets to the end of it and he says, but if God's there, it changes it. Okay? And so anyway, I said earlier that I don't think that all of this with Solomon happened suddenly. But if you look at Solomon's life as a king, his halfway point is marked by the dedication of the temple. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It took him seven years to build the temple, 13 years to build his own house, and it wasn't until after all of that was done and the guy made all of the furnishings for the inside that they dedicated the temple, right? And so it put about 20-year mark. He reigned for 40 years. About 20 years, he dedicated the temple, and that had kept him busy, kept him focused on God. And as he was dedicating the temple, uh, he uh, preached a sermon, instructed the people to follow God. He offered up all these sacrifices, and he seemed to still be doing well around the halfway point. He had married the wrong women. He had accumulated wealth. He had built a lavish house for himself, but still he is praising and serving God and instructing the people to do likewise. But as I said, what he first tolerated in uh, the gods of the, the wives he grew to accept, he finally participated, and in the end of it, that, that got his heart. Um, as we look at the rest of this chapter, he believed that he was so smart in making all of his alliances with the, uh, the, the pagan kings. Remember how we talked about the marriages was a type of, of alliance, of treaty, of agreement between nations, as Solomon is marrying this woman and that woman, it says, okay, there's connections to these other kingdoms. So we have uh, commerce, we have peace, we have an agreement, we're going to be fighting together, we're going to be trading together. And so Solomon was using those as uh, political advantages. And so he thought he was smart doing that, but those political advantages quickly fell apart because God is the only source of true security and true success, and Solomon showed very early on that he didn't trust uh, God, he didn't trust God's word, and he repeatedly went against it. Just the fact that he was marrying women who were not Hebrews, that he was marrying women who were uh, worshiping false gods, goes completely contrary to the commands of Scripture for the common man, let alone for the king. But then in addition for the king, he went to Egypt to multiply wealth and to multiply horses unto himself, right? Those things were strictly forbidden. Multiplying wives unto himself, strictly forbidden. And he says, I don't care what God says. I don't care what his word says. I'm going to do what I want to do. And he felt as if that was going to have no consequences. And it did. So as I said, he showed that he didn't trust God. He didn't trust God's word by repeatedly violating it. 
He also didn't trust God's promises because God promised that he was going to give him protection. He promised that he was going to give him wealth. He promised that he was going to be the one that was going to be his, his reward, right? And so he was chasing protection and success and wealth and all of these things through political and worldly means rather than going to God. Rather than just saying, I'm going to pursue God first, I'm going to build his temple, I'm going to worship him, I'm going to lead my people, I'm going to be an example to them, and I'm going to let God multiply and bless me. He says, no, I've got to go out and do this. I'm going to go and play the games. I'm going to use the things that God has given me for my glory instead of for his. And so whenever we come to the rest of chapter 11, verse number 14 says, And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon, Hadad the Edomite, he was of the king's seed in Edom. For it came to pass when David, I'm not going to read that part of it, but in verse 14, this guy named Hadad became a leader of an opposing army that kept coming against Solomon. And Hadad was part of the the Syrians, really, uh, Edomites, down in the southern part below Israel. And so they were coming against Israel's southern border, and though they couldn't attack Solomon, they weren't a powerful enough army to take him on, they could still be a pest. So they were like the little chihuahua nipping at his ankles. They're just like a little pest that coming in and causing problems for him. And so this is what this guy was doing. They would be leading raiding parties against the borders. They would be uh, maybe burning the, the outlying cities and things like that, just enough to be uh, annoying to him. Okay, but what I find interesting about this, if you go to chapter 11, verse one, but King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites. So Hadad was the the king, the leader of the Edomites, who Solomon was married into, thinking that he this marriage would be a political alliance that would give him favor and safety amongst them. And that alliance fell apart, didn't it? So he says, hey, I'm so smart. I'm so wise. I'm going to use this to give myself protection. And it didn't work because he was relying on his means, on his abilities, on man's ways of doing things rather than relying on God. And so that fell apart. Not only that, if you look at this king of Edom, it says in verse 17, that Hadad had fled, uh, he and certain Edomites of the father of his father's servants with him to go to Egypt. Uh, Egypt. Pardon me for that. It's the only language I speak, and I still can't speak it properly. Uh, anyway, so Hadad fled uh, with these servants of his father uh, to Egypt, and they arose out of Midian, came to Pharaoh. Um, and they took men with them, verse 18, out of Paran, and they came to Egypt unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, which gave him an house and appointed him victuals and gave him land. And Hadad found a great favor in the sight of Pharaoh so that he gave him to wife, the sister of his own wife, the sister of uh, Tapanes, the queen. So the reason I read all of that is... Who was Solomon married to? Yeah. Uh, Together with the daughter of Pharaoh. 
So he had married into Egypt. We had already talked in the past about him making a uh, an alliance with the Egyptians. But now you've got Hadad and the Egyptians have an alliance together against Solomon. So he said, hey, look, I'm so smart. I'm going to marry these people. I'm going to build alliances with them. I'm going to have protection. I'm going to have trade. That fell apart. And so all the things that he was relying on for protection and prosperity was falling apart because he was not seeking it through God. He was seeking it through his own means. And we continue down through this. We find uh, not only um, Egypt and the Edomites, but we go on down to verse number 23. God stirred uh, him up. Another adversary, Rezin, the son of Eliada, which fled from his lord, uh, Hadadezer, king of Zobah. And it goes down through this and tells about uh, this guy, Rezin, which was an enemy from the north. So he had an enemy from the north, and he had an enemy from the south. He had the sea to the west, right? And the wilderness to the east, basically. But there was enemies coming up from all around him, and he thought that he had become a hero. He thought that he was such a um, celebrity in that region. People were coming from as far as uh, Sheba just to listen to him, just to give him riches, just to trade with him, just to hear the things that he had to say. He was such a celebrity. He had so much wisdom. He had made such great alliances and all of these things. And now even his closest neighbors didn't like him. Even the people whose families he was married into was against him. I think that's interesting because Solomon was building all these things on his reputation. Everyone's going to like me. Everyone's going to reverence me. Everyone's going to worship me because look at how smart I am. Look how wealthy I am. Look at how powerful I am. And it's all falling apart as all of the ones around him are turning against him. But it wasn't the ones just around him because we looked at this a little bit last week. But starting in verse 26, we're introduced to a man by the name of Jeroboam. And it says, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephrathite of Zeredith, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was uh, Zeruah, a widow woman, even he lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the cause that he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built Milo and uh, repaired the breaches of the city of David, his father, and the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing this young man, that he was industrious, made him ruler over the charge, over all the charge of the house of Joseph. And it came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him in the way, and he had clad himself with a new garment, and they two were alone in the field, and Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him, and rent it in twelve pieces, and he said to Jeroboam, Take three pieces, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and will give thee ten tribes, or will give ten tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have, have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Uh, if we go on down to verse 34, it says, Howbeit I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince uh, all the days of his all the days of his life for David my servant's sake, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes, 
but I will take the kingdom out of his hand and will give it to the even ten tribes. So you've got the man Jeroboam. He is an Israelite. He is servant to the king. And the king sees that he's industrious, that he uh, is a smart man, knows what he's doing. And he puts him in charge of the entire house of Ephraim. And he says, okay, I've got all these building projects. I've got all these works going on. So Jeroboam, you're going to be overseeing those. And not only is Jeroboam a wise man and a competent leader, he is on the ground working with the people, instructing them, building up uh, rapport with them. He is building relationships with these people so that they now trust him. They see him as, excuse me, as a leader, but he's also seeing the effects of Solomon's policies on the people. Uh, Forty years of building, and not just building, but building extravagant things, takes a lot of manpower, takes a lot of wealth. And so Solomon is going through, and he is taking their time, he's taking their money to build all of his projects, and the people are growing tired of it. And so as Jeroboam is seeing all these things, it's affecting him, it's coming to his mind, coming to his heart, and he is leading the people, and then a prophet comes to him one day, tears his clothes off of him, tears him into 12 pieces, gives him 10, and keeps two. And he says, this is what God's going to do to Israel, and you're going to get 10 tribes out of the 12. Now, if you are a man in that position, your authority over one tribe already, but all the people are looking to you as a leader and are confiding in you their dissatisfaction with the current regime, and now you're being told by a prophet, a representative of God, Solomon didn't listen to me. Solomon is worshiping all these false gods. I'm going to take the kingdom from him and give it to you. Are you going to be a very good servant of Solomon now? Now, there's no indication that he raises up his hand. Now, there is a verse there that says that someone raised up their hand against, uh, lift up his hand against the king, verse 26. But it doesn't say that he's raising up an army. It doesn't say that he's trying to uh, overthrow Solomon because it's clearly told him it's not going to happen in Solomon's day, but when Solomon's dead, you're it. So Jeroboam is biding his time. He's probably raising his support. He's probably strategizing a little bit. But word gets back to Solomon, and rather than Solomon saying, okay, well, God warned me, I deserve this, he says, no, I've got to kill him. So we see in verse number 40, Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam, and Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt. Once again, who is sheltering Solomon's enemies? His wife's family, right? And so he tries to kill Jeroboam. But before all this happens, God, through the prophet, tells Jeroboam, verse number 38, and it shall be if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee and will walk in my ways and do that is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as David, my servant, did that I will be with thee and build thee a sure house as I built for David, and I will give Israel unto thee. So he tells Jeroboam, not only are you going to get the, the ten tribes, but if you will follow me, if you will do as I have commanded, then I'm going to build you a sure house just like David. You're going to be established in the, in the land. And so Jeroboam's got this bit of information. Solomon's ready to kill him. And we come down to the verses... 41 through 43, Solomon dies. Okay? It says you can read more about his acts in other places, but 
Uh, he was king for 40 years, verse 43. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried uh, in the city of David. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his stead. So the end comes to all men. Solomon could have had a lot longer life because uh, God says, if you will obey me, keep my commands, then I will give you a long life. Obviously, he didn't. He didn't have a long life. He lived to be in his 60s. Okay? And so what we see from all of this is that Solomon, because of the things that had crept into his life, because of the influences that he had in his life, uh, because of the things that he loved rather than God and trusted rather than God, and I think that's what it comes back to, is a lack of faith on his behalf. He never truly trusted God. He never truly loved God. And so other things quickly won his heart over, led him away from God. And all the things that were once successes became an utter failure. And so that's a lesson for our lives as well. We need to be careful what has our heart. Make sure we love God and we're seeking after him. Beware of anything that tries to take us away from God. Because though we gain the entire world, if you were as rich as Solomon, it doesn't mean you're going to have pleasure. It doesn't mean that you're going to have purpose. You're not going to have enjoyment. You need to have a walk with God and be with him. You can be the the poorest man in the world walking with God and be much more happy than Solomon being the richest man. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so that brings us to Rehoboam, and this is where I want to just kind of spend a few minutes tonight and we'll close. But the story of Rehoboam is fairly familiar to us as well. Rehoboam is the, the wise king's foolish son, right? And so Rehoboam, I said a minute ago, was kind of a repeat of Solomon, that he allowed the wrong things to control his life, and it resulted in failure and destruction, okay? And so let's go ahead and read chapter 12, verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke which he put on us lighter, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart yet, uh, yet for three days, and then come again to me. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived, and said, How do you advise that I answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old man which they had given him, and consulted with the younger men that were grown up with him, which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may uh, may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which my thy father did put upon us lighter? And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shall you speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but uh, make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than, thy than my father's loins. 
And now, whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had appointed, saying, Come to, to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him. We'll go ahead and stop there. So we have Rehoboam's beginning to his kingdom. And I believe that Solomon instructed Rehoboam. I think he tried, but he was coming from a very imperfect position. You start reading through the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs is uh, addressed to his son, right? And so there's all kinds of instructions to his son. It's Solomon trying to convey wisdom to his son. Uh, even the book of Ecclesiastes talks about uh, all of the hard work that we do and all of the riches that we lay up. And whenever we die, they're going to pass on to our son, and we don't know whether they're going to be wise or they're going to be a fool. Well, Rehoboam was a fool. And anyway... Solomon tried to instruct him, tried to guide him from an imperfect place because Rehoboam has been watching Solomon for 40 years. It says that Rehoboam was 41 years old whenever Solomon, or excuse me, Rehoboam was 41 years old whenever he became king. Solomon reigned for 40 years. You do the math. He was one, years old, one year old when Solomon became king. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? So Rehoboam's entire life, Solomon has been a king. He's watched himself, or excuse me, he's watched his father uh, in all of his building projects, with all of the people coming to him, all of the people fawning over him, all of the people bringing wealth to him. Solomon com commanding attention, commanding respect of everyone around, and him getting things done. Him using the people to build up a name and glory for himself. So, from Rehoboam's perspective, what it meant to be a king was to rule over the people, to use the people to get what you want, okay? And so he saw his father constantly living in luxury, having all of these wives, having all of these foreign dignitaries coming by, living in all this palace and everything, and he said, okay, that's what it means to be king. And we look at the world's perspective of being a king, okay? The king is absolute power. The king does what the king wants to do. As the, the old moniker says, is it's good to be king, right? You ever heard that? Mm -hmm. Or if you want to go to something a little bit more modern, you have the Lion King. They've been singing this all week long, where you got Simba that coming out, and he's saying, I can't, just can't wait to be king. Mm -hmm. And talking about how everyone's going to be afraid of him, everybody's going to do what he says. That tends to be man's view of what a king is. So as Rehoboam's coming to the throne... He says, basically, I'm the king now. My job is to do what I want to do. Everyone else's job is to obey me. And so I'm going to rule over the people. That's, that's his mindset. But how do I know that? Well, by what he does. And so whenever they're getting ready to crown him king, he says, all of the wealth, all of these things that Solomon owned is going to be mine. I'm going to have the power and the prestige that my dad had and so he's ready to take the crown and put it on his pointy little head. But whenever Jeroboam hears down in Egypt that Solomon, that sought his life, is dead, and the prophecy that when Solomon was dead, he was going to become king, he comes up 
And he leads all the people who already had respect, who already seen him as a leader. He leads the people to Solomon and says, or not Solomon, to Rehoboam and says, before we agree to be your servants, we have one request. Your father has made our lives difficult. He has caused us to serve with rigor. We have all spent time in the king's service, building his houses and building his cities, doing all these things. We are all paying taxes to feed the king's massive household. You go down through, it gives a, a listing of how many animals and how many uh, bushels of weed and all these different things it took just to sustain the king's household for a day. And it went throughout the 12 tribes, each tribe taking a month to feed the king's household, to supply all the needs for the king's household. And that's not even including all of the building projects. And so the people come in and say, you have worked as hard. You have taken a lot of our stuff just to maintain this lifestyle and all these things that Solomon's been doing. And so our request is to back off a little. Ease up a little on the building projects. Lower the taxes just a little bit. Don't cause us to have to constantly be working. We'd like to be working our own fields instead of Solomon's. So our request for you is if you will just ease up, if you'll just make our yoke a little lighter, we will serve you. And that was completely reasonable. Because for one thing, Rehoboam has not earned that place yet. Solomon, over a long period of time and through wise leadership, had increased what he was requiring from the people, but he was a very wise king from a man's perspective. For all they know, Rehoboam's a fool. Why are they just going to willingly offer all these things to him? Why are they just going to willingly respect and follow and just blindly dump all these things to him? He hasn't earned that position yet. So if Rehoboam comes in, shows a little bit of restraint, and says, okay, that's reasonable. I'm not going to keep up all these building projects. I'll let some of these things slide. I'm not going to have such a huge blow to government. I'm not going to have as big of a harem to have to feed. So yeah, we're going to ease up in what I require of you. That's all he had to say, right? He does do something wise. He says, give me three days to think about it. Okay, he doesn't answer her immediately. He says, okay, scratch my head a minute here. What am I going to do? And the first group that he goes to is he goes to those that advised Solomon. He went to the old men and he asked them and he says, what do you think? And they said, if you will agree, if you will just be a servant to them, they will serve you for life. Extremely good advice that came from them. But something that does not set well with a proud and new king because he heard the word servant. If you will serve them, if you will be their servant, they will serve you. Now, if we go back, we look, David served his people. David was a shepherd. He was constantly looking out excuse me, for the good of the people of Israel. He was protecting the people. Even whenever King Saul was after his life and wanted to kill him, he was still endangering his own life to protect the people that Saul was neglecting. And then after he became the king, he was still serving the people. Imperfectly, yes, but he was still serving the people. Solomon was using the people to serve him. 
He was using the people to carry out his vision, to supply for his projects, to make him elevated to a position of prominence. That's what Solomon was doing. And so anyway, Rehoboam didn't want to be a servant. He wanted to be a sovereign. And so whenever they said, serve the people and they will serve you, he didn't like give and take. He only wanted to take. Because I'm not going to serve them. I'm going to rule over them. And so anyway, he goes to the men that he grew up with, the ones that are the same age as him. And he says, what do you think about this? Essentially, what he's doing is he's going to the people who's going to tell him what he wants to hear. And he says, what do you guys have to say? And they say, show him who's boss. You're the king. You're the one who gets to set the rules. They're the servants. They do what you tell them to do. So just to show how powerful and how strong you are, go out there and present yourself as if you are the king that you're wanting to be. Go out and tell them that you're going to increase, that you're going to make it harder, that Solomon's going to be a wimp compared to you. And he says, hmm, I like the sound of that. Show them who's boss. I am the king. I tell them what, yeah, that sounds good to me. And so he listens to them. He goes before the people. He answers them roughly and says, I'm going to be even rougher on you than Solomon was. And you're just going to have to deal with it because I'm the king. And they turn around and they look at him and say, you're not our king. He says, what portion have we with, uh, with Judah? In other words, he was out of the tribe of Judah. You can rule your own tribe, but you're not ruling our tribes. And they're going to go on and make Jeroboam king. And Rehoboam is going to have Judah. And God said he'd give him one tribe with the one he belongs to, and that's Benjamin, the smallest tribe. And those are the only ones that he gets to rule over, Judah and Benjamin. Because he followed foolish advice. Now, the last thing that I want to look at in this is this process that he went through with seeking out advice. Remember in Solomon, we talked about the people that he surrounded himself by and the people he listened to had an effect on how he reigned and how he followed God, right? So now with Rehoboam, who he surrounded himself by and who he listened to, determined his direction and how he ruled the people, right? And so whenever you consider the old men, what are the advantages to the old men that he asked the first time? Okay. So they have experience. With age comes experience, both positive and negative. You can't get away from that. Whenever people have lived and they have made mistakes and they've had successes, and they have a track record. That's something to go by. Just because someone's old doesn't mean they're wise. But oftentimes it does. There's something for you to gain from them, right? And so not only that, but as I said a minute ago, you have track record. So you look at these men's lives and say, okay, where did their wisdom, their intelligence get them to? I mean, if you're talking about the... 65-year-old crackhead that's in the gutter, if he's giving you advice, you might want to gauge that a little bit on where his life took him, right? 
He might be able to tell you from experience and say, this is where I went wrong. Don't do what I did. But you can look at the life and see what their way of thinking took them to, right? Whereas the young guy, which we'll look at in just a minute, doesn't have that. He's still got all these hopes and dreams. He can speak with all kinds of optimism. And I'm going to do this. And I'm, but the old guy, you know what he actually did do, right? Not only that, but okay, uh, advantages of the old guy. He's already served his time. He's already held the position. He's retired by now. These are the men that work under Solomon, and they're done. So they are, let me look for the right word here. They're unbiased, right? They've got nothing to gain by saying one way or the other. Because they're not trying to get in Rehoboam's cabinet. They're not trying to become a position in his government. That ship's already sailed. They've already done that. So they have no reason to lie or to flatter him. They have no reason to shade their answer one way or the other. They can be honest and forthcoming with him. They're unbiased. And so they've got a track record. They're unbiased. They have experience, right? And so they're able to instruct him in this. Now, what about the young guys? Okay, so they're inexperienced. Everything is still future focus, is still optimism. They can have all these ideas and everything. Uh, just as an example, I'll see if I can communicate this properly, okay? Whenever you are a teenager or early 20s, you know, and you're talking to different people and they say, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, it's exciting. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's your aspirations? What are you looking to do in life? And everything is still in the future. But if they're still doing that whenever they're 40 or 50, they're not going anywhere, right? They're still telling you all their hopes and dreams at that age. Cool. It's gone. You know nothing's going to happen. So the young guys, they can still have all these ideas, but they haven't had time to put them into practice and see how they turn out. They haven't been able to mix them with real-world experience and see what happens with them. And so anyway, these young guys say, hey, power sounds good. Kings sound good. And so their pride, their arrogance, their youthful drive or whatever takes over. They're also probably not... They're probably some of like royalty or lords or whatever, and probably not had to work and figure out what life was like for the rest mm -hmm. of the children. So they're like, mm -hmm. yeah, do this. That's that's a very good point. I hadn't thought of that, mm -hmm. but um, so it was the ones that were brought up with him, so they were disconnected from real life, and so they had like their charmed life. They hadn't had to go out and build Solomon's yeah, temple. They went and played the games in the schoolyard with Solomon. Mm -hmm. Or with Rehoboam, excuse me. Just like the... You know, that was good when they mm -hmm. inherited things that... Mm -hmm. They were built by these old people. And then they have their idea. No, you are a king. Just go and tell them whatever you want. Yeah. Without reasoning and say, okay. What do we get all that we are trying to fight mm -hmm. for? Where is this so? Yeah. 
So, so it's like taking financial advice from the trust fund baby. Yeah. You know, the one that their their dad bought him a new Porsche when they turned 18 or 16 or whatever, and they're telling you about the, the struggles of finances whenever, you know, you, you've worked five jobs and you put yourself through school and everything. It's like, yeah, you're... There's a problem with that going to this one. You mentioned financial. You are like, someone is advising you in... For an example, how to buy a house. Mm-hmm. But if you look without asking, you, you just say, This person hasn't buy a house yet. Mm-hmm. How is gonna but again there's this professionalism and all this education involved with but mm-hmm. sometimes when you're getting advice even by things that you are doing personally, if you that that's me if I, I manage to get the person who's giving me advice with an experience, I can see this person has passed through all this. It mm-hmm. gives you that much confident of mm-hmm. what you are trying to achieve as well. But if it's like, I think this advice is just based on the pen and paper, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't have much experience. Yeah, that's side notes. Yeah, kind of a, a similar experience that I had was, uh, whenever I whenever I worked in forestry and things, you'd have the guys that had uh, graduated from university, but they'd never done the work. And so they come out and they start telling you, well, you need to do this this way, you need to do this. It's like, okay, the guy I'm working for has been doing this for 40 years. Yeah. You know, and experience trumps that every time. But anyway, um, another thing with these younger guys, uh, they were more prone to tell Solomon, or not Solomon, I keep making that mistake. Uh, they were more prone to tell Rehoboam what he wanted to hear because they were planning on riding his coattails. See, if Rehoboam's kingdom went well, these people would become advisors and they would profit from him. And so if he likes what they have to say, then they get promotions. They get placed within his cabinet, within his government as advisors and different things. And so they are trying to tell him what he wants to hear so that they can elevate themselves. The old men, they weren't concerned about that, right? And so the reason why we're going through all of this is back to this thought of who are we allowing to influence us? Who are we listening to? What are we listening to? Because it has a huge impact on us. Solomon surrounded himself by all of these pagan women, right? Something that was very interesting as I was thinking through all of this, Solomon built the temple, right? If there was a temple, what did there have to be in the temple? Who did there have to be in the temple? The priests. And... There was priests, right? In all of Solomon's, in all the writings about Solomon, are there ever any times where priests are mentioned? Is he surrounding himself with priests? Is he going to the priests? No, he's surrounding business people. Okay. With David, David had Nathan the prophet. He had another prophet. Uh, I can't remember his name at the moment. He had Nathan, Ahijah maybe? Yeah. Gab was another one, yeah. And then he also had the priests on that. Yes. Wilderness. And he had uh, Jehoiada. No, that was different. Adonai. There was... So David, priests, prophets surrounding him. 
Is there any prophets connected to Solomon? None. Okay? So he does have some advisors here. No priests, no prophets. And the silence is deafening there. So Solomon is not caring for any kind of spiritual advice. And Rehoboam, definitely not. Okay? And so Rehoboam is surrounding himself with the type of people who are yes men that's going to tell him what he wants to hear, that's going to think just like he does, no one that's going to be able to hold him accountable, that's going to check him whenever he's out of, uh, out of range there. Remember Nathan the prophet comes to David, says, Thou art the man, and he didn't die. David had men in his life that he respected, that had a connection with God, that could come to him whenever he stepped out of line and correct him. Solomon didn't. Rehoboam didn't. He surrounded himself by people that would tell him what he wanted to hear. So the advice for us, be careful who you surround yourself with. As I was saying there a minute ago, Solomon had all these women bringing their false gods that had his heart and pulled his heart away from God. Uh, Rehoboam had his false friends that stroked his ego, if you will, that told him what he wanted to hear, that encouraged him to be the kind of king that God did not want him to be and that the people did not want and caused the, the, the kingdom to be ripped in half, caused a civil war, if you will. And this is what happens in our lives as well whenever we are following after the wrong people and after the wrong things. Whenever we refuse to follow God's word, when we refuse to live by his principles, whenever we start seeking after our own heart, our own desires, the things of this world, to hear the things that our own lusts and our desires want. Whenever we are surrounding ourselves by the wrong influences, we're going to go in the wrong direction. And in both cases, Solomon and Rehoboam both flamed out, didn't they? So whenever we look at the end of their the end of Solomon's life, the beginning of Rehoboam's, it's failure and falling apart. Every bit of it. And so the kingdom falls apart. And just to continue reading here about what happens. Uh, verse 16 of chapter 12. When Israel heard that the king hearkened not unto them, he didn't listen. The people answered the king saying, What portion have we with David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. Go to your tents, O Israel. Uh, now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed into their tents. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Verse 18, this is, this is interesting, I'll put it that way. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, and all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam made speed to get him up into his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So they say, we've rejected you from being king, and his response is to send out the tax collector. They said, lower our taxes, ease our burden. He says, I'm going to make it greater, and my first act as a king is to send out my tax collector. Now, it doesn't necessarily say he was collecting taxes. Maybe he was going to negotiate. But they saw him coming and said, he's Rehoboam's tax man. Kill him. Stone him with stones. I wouldn't want to be that guy. Maybe that's a that's an interesting thought on it. 
So Rehoboam says, hey, you had good advice. I took your advice. You said be harder. Okay, well, put your, uh, yeah, you know, uh, put some action to your words here. You said, tell them I'm going to be tougher on you. You're my new tax collector. Go and get it. Mm-hmm. Me? That may have been, I don't know. It'd be interesting if he was. And so anyway, he is stoned. He is killed. And as a result, I'm not going to read it for sake of time. As a result, Rehoboam starts gathering up his armies. And he says, okay, then it's civil war. If you will not yield to my tax man, you'll yield to my armies. Where he's got two tribes and Jeroboam's got ten tribes. And they're mad. Right? And so as he's gathering all of this up, we finally have we finally have a prophet that comes and he tells him don't send out your armies don't bring a war this is of God because of what Solomon has done and so don't fight this it's of God and Rehoboam backs down he takes his two armies or excuse me his two two tribes and he leaves it this is not a yeah, for a little bit of time <laughs> And so now Israel is separated to Israel, the ten tribes. That's often called Ephraim, which is the tribe that Jeroboam's out of. And you have the southern tribe, which is Judah, which is Judah and Benjamin. And from here on out, there's going to be two different kingdoms, two different kings. And the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, is going to have zero good kings. None. The southern kingdom of Judah is going to have the occasional good king, the occasional revival, and they're going to last about 100 years extra, but both of them are going to be carried away in captivity because they turn away from God and reject him. And what they turn away to is they turn away to the idols that Solomon introduced. They turn away to the idols. What do they expect whenever the kings are the ones doing it and the people follow? They turn to idols. God sends them away into captivity. When they come back out of captivity, their idolatry is cured. You read anything about uh, idolatry within Israel in the New Testament? Do you read any of it in the books that are written after the captivity? So a little bit of captivity cures their idolatry. But it all starts really with Solomon. And it falls apart from there. Okay? So I'm going to have to quit with that. Um, I will say just one thing I did think of. There was a time or two that Solomon heard from God and it seems like maybe it was a prophet that came to him then. So I do want to point that out because I said that there was no evidence of a prophet with Solomon it does seem like there was a couple that gave him warnings, but he didn't listen to them. Maybe a prophet that gave him warnings, he didn't listen to them. I wanted to put that out there, so I kind of correct myself on that. So does anyone have anything this evening? Any questions or comments? Or I, I think I did have some two questions, but again, you answered them in, in the study. I think I've questioned this before again. Mm-hmm. As, as I said earlier on, I would like 
two perceptions between these kings that we are studying. Mm -hmm. And the, the reason why I'm bringing this is like, there's a place, or maybe before going through this uh, um, study, I have some perception of the kings, mm -hmm. maybe from the other studies that I, I, I did learn before. Because there was a, this perception of kings being uh, God's chosen people. Mm -hmm. There, there was perception mm -hmm. built around kings that shows only the victories of, of their kingdom, per se, or mm -hmm. their reign. Mm -hmm. But again, when we read, more especially when we come to Solomon, it seems like Solomon's the, the kings that, if I'm going to put in the right word, the, the king that even orchestrated the children of Israel going to captivity. Mm -hmm. So why, the, the question is that why that this king seems to be praised? Beside from two, two perceptions, I'm, I'm checking two side mm -hmm. story. There's a story that we can stand by mm -hmm. God himself uh, 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 seeking fight mm -hmm. in other words. And the story that we can take as we are reading now, mm -hmm. it seems like there's nothing that we can we, we, we can praise uh, Solomon from from his 40 years of being a king mm -hmm. as, a, as a, he, he was just a man after after himself, a man mm -hmm. after his own benefits. But so the question remains, why there's so much impact in Solomon's life reach the, the scriptures mm -hmm. but his own life doesn't it doesn't seem like he was following things of God. Okay. Well, a lot of what we find in Scripture, is, especially what we're looking at in the Old Testament through the, uh, the narrative books, the historical books, okay, it is written to inform Israel of why they are where they are. Mm -hmm. And so it's tracking the direction that they've come. And so it's pointing out, okay, back with Samuel, God was working on something. He had something going. But the people of Israel demanded a king. God gave them Saul. It was what they desired. God gave them the desire of their heart. And it was bad for them. God gave them the good king that he had planned for them. It was good for them. Okay? But then, even though they had a good king and started well, then they corrupted themselves, showing how mankind left to himself taking God out of the picture, uh, goes astray. And so you have Solomon, who is often praised because he was wise. He was wealthy. He had all of these things. He wrote scripture, for heaven's sakes. He can't be a bad guy. But what does the scriptures that he wrote, what do they talk about? They talk about his wisdom in navigating this world in the way that it works, which he was wise, he was gifted. God said that he was wiser than all the men. So God used him, an imperfect vessel, to give us wisdom. But he also has Ecclesiastes that he wrote showing us, here's my bad example. I, I tried to live life without God. It was a train wreck. I was wise. I was foolish. Right? And so you have those kind of contrasts with each other. Now, you're talking about 
being torn two different ways mm-hmm. because of the way things were taught in the past. Mm-hmm. The way you'd, and what I can say with that is look for an agenda. Okay. Okay. What are they trying? Why are they cherry picking, taking certain things out and lifting them up? What are they trying achieve. to achieve? And if they are very man centric, saying, okay, let's highlight all of these things. This is what you do to have the wisdom and have the prosperity and have the success that Solomon did. You know, they're pulling those things out because they want the wealth and the things that Solomon had whenever that's not what Solomon's not a how-to guide. It's a how-not-to. And so they are man-centric instead of God-centric. And so if you're looking at it from God's perspective, God is saying, you know, you're looking at God. God has done all of this for man, and he still blows it. And so that's what we get out of God is the center of this. But if man is the center of it and is going after man's lust and man's desires, hey, I want to have all of the pleasures. I want to have all of the wealth. I want to have power. I want people coming all the way from Sheba just to listen to what I have to say. You know, and then you even talk about, you know, they were God's anointed. Mm-hmm. You get into especially charismatic movement, different mm-hmm. stuff like that. That's what not like, or, you know, don't raise your hand against God's anointed. He's untouchable. Mm-hmm. No. no. And so that's the the one of the big lessons that you learn about the kings as you start looking at them is that they are very weak, very fallible. And so don't build your life up on man. Don't put your trust in a man. Don't put your trust in yourself. Keep your focus on God. Keep your trust in him. And if you keep your focus on him, if you keep following him, your life will go the way God wants it to. It'll go just fine. The Bible talks, and I bring this up regularly, about his good and acceptable and perfect will if we are following him. But if we reject him, his word, his precepts, all bets are off. You can have every advantage just like Solomon, and at the end of your life, say vanity of vanities, all is vanity, I'd be better off dead. Right? Even with all the advantages of Solomon. Okay. Do you have another question? No. Yeah, okay. I, okay. I was told, uh, just, yeah, it's, it's a lot to take in, but again, the, the, the old man purpose just to, to, to get the lesson of how these people, they were falling apart and waking, we take as we talk. We, we, we spoke about uh, getting advice from wise people or people with experience rather than Mm-hmm. just people who are still upcoming so someone who's giving you advice with experience he's pointing where he has been and mm-hmm. what he has gone through and someone will give you experience based on maybe qualification or education or books it will morely point you on things that he's still looking to, to, mm-hmm. to achieve as well. But it doesn't mean we can't take advice from mm-hmm. from those, but it's just the way to choose them and the way to, to, to use them. Yeah. Let's try. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and we'll, we'll end there and go to the Lord in prayer. Call it a night. 
Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we do thank you for this time in your word, Lord, for these examples of uh, these men who were in really in the top of the game. They they had everything, but they neglected you, Lord. And what a what a lesson it is for us as the world is telling us all of these things that we need and trying to point our affections, our hearts, and our desires in all of the wrong directions, Lord, to try to strip us away from you. I just pray, Lord, that our heart, our affections would be upon you, that we would go the direction you would have us to, that we would be careful of what influences us and who leads us. And Lord, we just thank you for being so good. Thank you for loving us. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.